All right, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Jeremiah, how am I on the camera? Am I in the right spot? Okay, good. All right. Um, it's good to see you all. If this is your first time here, welcome to Chinese Church in Christ South Valley. My name's Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. And if it's your first time joining us, we're really glad you're here with us. You've joined us on a, a very um, busy and interesting Sunday. There's a lot going on. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, I assure you, I don't wear a tie on every Sunday. Um, maybe our preachers on the Chinese side do. Um, but at the end of our service, we will be going over to the sanctuary um, because we are today we are celebrating the end of a term of some of our church deacons. If you don't know who uh, what deacons are, deacons are those who God has called to serve in various capacities in our church. And uh, as it will relate to today's message, um, it's very important that uh, for our deacons who serve, that it's for a period of time, and then they take a break. And so um, I just want to say, you may not know any of these people. Some of them are in this room, but we want to thank uh, our six deacons who have completed their term of the serving in uh, different ministries in our church for the last couple uh, last couple years. And that is Grace Lynn, Ben Dai, Yvonne Wong, who's here. Where's Yvonne? Oh, she's right here in the middle. Okay. Uh, Jeremiah over here. Um, Albert Hu and Rosa Huang, they've all uh, finished their term of service as deacons, and we're going to get to welcome in um, five new deacons, including some of your parents in this room. And so that's Hongbin, Elisha, Sue, uh, and then Uncle Sunny, Uncle Gary, uh, five new um, deacons. And so we're going to pray for them as they start their uh, time of service to our church. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. We'll try to explain it when we're over there, but you can join us in the sanctuary at the end of our church service. Second announcement that's also very important, youth group, all of you sixth grade who uh, up to 12th grade, if today's your first time, this does not apply to you because we're glad you're here. If you're not here for the first time, it's our day to serve lunch, um, which also bears mentioning, if you've never been here before, we serve lunch after our service. You are welcome to join us. There's a fee for the, um, the amount of lunch, but if you are here for the first time, it's on us. Just please join us and enjoy the wonderful Chinese food. The restaurant we've switched to is really good. I think it's really good. So, um, But youth group, we're in charge of setting up and cleaning up and serving the food. So if, you are, uh, if you're a normal part of our youth group, please come join me in the kitchen after the prayer for the deacons and we will serve lunch together today. So a lot of announcements at the start of our time together. Um, today's message is called Sabbath, or it's, about, it's really about rest. And the reason for that is a, another announcement. Uh, many of you know this already, but um, starting this Saturday, I will be on a two-month sabbatical. And that means a two-month vacation where you won't see me at all for two months, um, it's something that our church believes is very important for our pastors um, to take a break, to rest, to have a chance to recharge for um, future ministry. Daniel took his sabbatical earlier this year as his son was being born. I wonder if that's the one crying in the back. But anyway, no. Yeah, so he's pushing him in the stroller over there. It's great to see baby Toby here today. And so it's a value of our church where we get to see that rest is really important. And we're going to see that in God's word today. So what we're going to do is, if, you, if you're with us normally, you know we like to pick a book of the Bible and go through things, maybe one chapter or one passage at a time. But today we're going to do something a little different. I want to talk about the importance of the Sabbath. 
And if you're not sure what that word is, don't worry, we'll define it in a moment, but it really has to do with how important rest is for our lives and how God's word shows us the importance of rest. And so, um, youth group, I'll see you Friday night, but then after that, starting on, uh, starting on Saturday, uh, I'll be off until November 10th, and so um, just talk to, uh, talk to Daniel for any questions while I'm gone. He'll be in, in charge of things, and I'll talk more about it during the course of this message. Um, and so uh, this week, I've been having a, a good lead-in, I would say, into my sabbatical. It's still been a very busy time. There's been a lot on the schedule. Um, but many of you know our brother, Scott Lynn. He's a good friend of mine. I've um, been a part of our church for many years. And if you know Scott, Scott has this wonderful, um, just very affectionate black Labrador named Noah. And so while Scott's been busy at work, I've been staying at his house and dog-sitting Noah, taking him on walks in this uh, really ridiculous heat that's going on. And um, I don't know the math. Some of you know it better than, than I do. But Noah, as a dog, he's 11 years old. And in dog years, that's something very old. And so, 77? Okay, Peggy knows, because she's a dog owner. Thank you, Peggy. All right. So, I'm taking this dog on walks, and apparently, as I've just learned, according to human years, he would be like 77 years old. And I've known him for many years. I've, I've uh, taken him on walks before. I've, I've watched him when Scott's been on vacation before. And so I've walked Noah for many years. He's very playful. He has a lot of energy, or he used to, before he turned, I guess, 77. But as I've been walking him this week, I've realized he's been starting to slow down a little bit. He can't walk for as long. He used to love to, he wouldn't want to go home from walks, but now he gets tired very easily, and he walks very slowly. And for me, it's taught me how much I'm always in a hurry. Because we'll be walking, and he's walking really slow, and it used to be like, it's kind of like in his younger days, he would walk me, you know, because he's like running ahead and I'd be trying to keep up. But now it's like he's kind of back here and I'm like taking small steps and dragging him along. And then he like stops to like smell everything because that's kind of what dogs do. If you're a dog owner, you know that it's there's just a lot to smell and it's very interesting to them. And in my mind, I'm like, come on, Noah, this is this is taking forever. And the phrase like it's important to like stop and smell the flowers kind of came to mind because he was doing that like quite literally at like every house. And I was like, come on, we got to get going. And it showed me like how busy my mind is and how much I want to move on to the next thing. And I think it's been a good kind of mental preparation for me to go into a season of rest. And so um, if we're talking about the word Sabbath, so if I'm going on a sabbatical, it comes from the word Sabbath, we should define that as we get into our message. And then we're going to see what God's word has to teach us about rest. The first time the word Sabbath shows up in the Bible is in the book of Exodus. As we'll see, it's not the first time the concept of Sabbath rest shows up, but the first time you see the word, it shows up in Exodus chapter 16. So I want to read a couple verses to give us kind of the first kind of definition of the word Sabbath as we see it in God's word. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. And in chapter 16, the context is that if you know the history of Israel, the, the Israelites had been enslaved by Egypt. If you want to know some of the background in a very like, you know, Disneyified way, even though it's not Disney, watch The Prince of Egypt, fantastic movie. But if you've ever seen that movie or if you've ever read the chapters in the Bible, you know that God's people, they were enslaved by the nation of Egypt, and God leads them by the prophet Moses across the Red Sea 
when God parts the Red Sea so that they can walk through and escape from those who had held them in captivity. An incredible miracle that they've experienced. And so, um, obviously, they're very grateful for this, and they're walking on their way to go and find their freedom. And after quite a while, they start to realize, man, this freedom is not what we thought it would be. We have to find our own food. It's dry here in the desert. Like, how, how do we know that God might provide for us? And that's the context of where we first see the word Sabbath in the Bible. And so let's see this, starting in uh, verse 1 of Exodus chapter 16. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. The verses will be up here on the screen. We're going to be looking at a number of different books this morning, so you can flip around with us or just follow along on the screen. But starting in verse 1 of Exodus 16, it says this. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Now this shows kind of the state of mind of the people. They're hungry, they're tired, and they're wondering, like, are we going to run out of food? Are we going to survive? And they start complaining to Moses, who is their leader. Verse 3. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you, speaking towards Moses, you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, if you think of the euphoria of God's people experiencing the freedom from their slavery, obviously they felt very different at that time. And I think when they are saying these words, they don't really mean what they say. Like, do they really mean that they wish they had died in Egypt with all the good food that was there, even though they were also forced to work very brutally as slaves? Probably not. But this is what happens when we're tired and when we're upset. We often say things that we don't mean, right? And so how does God answer this? It, throughout the course of Exodus 16, you see how God rains down what's called manna from heaven. And it's a type of bread where the people are complaining about not having food. And somehow all this bread appears and people are able to eat. But it's not enough that they had no food and then like are given food. They're like, you know, if, if, you're, if you're like me and you struggle to eat the same thing like multiple days in a row, you're like, I need some more variety in like my, my diet. Like I ate, I ate ramen yesterday. I need some kind of rice today. It's like, you know, that's kind of what they were experiencing. And the bread is not enough. And they start to want meat. And God provides meat. But as it is for humans, it's never enough for us, right? And so it's interesting because as it keeps going on, after six days of this, we come to verse 22, that we're, which talks about what happens next. And it's the first time we see the word Sabbath appear in Scripture. And so in verse 22, it says this. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. It's a, measure, a term of measurement. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will, bake and boil, uh, bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over, uh, all that is left over, lay aside to be kept till the morning. Verse 24. So they laid it aside till the morning, and as Moses commanded them, it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. It didn't spoil. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be no more. 
And this is the first time we see the actual definition of the Sabbath, that it is meant to be a day of rest. God had provided this food, and the people are gathering the food because they're very hungry. And so they're, they're gathering up all this food, but God says, you do this for six days, but on the seventh day, it's meant to be a day of rest. And he doesn't just say rest. He says a day of solemn rest. So it's not just physical rest, and that's going to be important for us when we think about how important rest is for our lives, but there's a solemnness, a time of like contemplation or deep thinking that goes along with it to kind of reflect on why this rest is important. And so on the seventh day, there's no food, and that's why the people are supposed to gather up a little bit extra, so on the seventh day, they don't have to do the work to go and gather the food. And so we start to see this definition of the word Sabbath, that it has to do with rest. And further, at the end of the chapter, it says this, starting in verse 27, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none, referring to the food. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And this is the first time the Bible uses the word Sabbath, but it's not the first time that the concept exists. So today, as we think about rest, I've got three main points for us to follow along now that we've kind of seen the origin of this word Sabbath, that it has to do with resting. Um, and so we're going to see this throughout. We're going to look at the very start of the Bible, and we're going to end up in the very end of the Bible, and to see how there is so much. Honestly, there's many other passages I wish we had time to read, but for the sake of time, we don't. We're just going to focus on a few. But I just want you to know the Bible has so much to say about rest. And that ties in with our first point that we're going to see this morning, that rest is not just for humans, but the reason where we want to start, we want to go all the way back to the very beginning of creation where we see that God himself rests. That's a very important thing for us to think about. We'll talk about this morning. Um, the second point we're going to see is that the Sabbath, or a period of a day of rest, it has a reason. It's not just a command. It's not just something to say, okay, we need to take one day off. We need to know the reason behind it. And then finally, we're going to see that a true Sabbath, or really resting, it's not just a physical type of rest, but it really comes from knowing God and experiencing the peace of God. I love that second song we sang this morning. I mean, I love all the songs, but I love that second one when it talks about find rest, my soul. You are peace to a restless soul, a restless heart. And I don't know about you, but just singing that this morning, the more I sing that, those are words that I know I need to hear because I need to experience that when we live in a culture where we are all, always busy, always on the go, always moving on to the next thing. And hopefully that third point shows us how we might experience rest not in a human sense, but in the way that God wants us to experience it and how that can be very good with our lives. So first, let's start with the fact that God himself rests. And to do that, we're going to go back to the very first book of the Bible, the very start of the Bible, the creation story in Genesis chapter 1. So we're going to skip around in chapter 1 to get a sense of why it's important for us to understand how God rests at the end of creation. So let's start at the very beginning, verse 1. Genesis 1.1 says this. We probably know it well. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is the introduction to God being the one who creates. And as he goes into the different, what's called six days of creation, 
or the seventh day, because that's going to be very important for us, the seven days. Um, I want to skip down to verse 11 because of the kind of the word construction here. And so each day you see what God has created on that day. And verse 11 starts the third day. And so uh, God has created light. He's created day and night. And on the third day, he starts to fill the earth with different things. And so in verse 11, it says this. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in, bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And here's the key phrase. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. For the sake of time, I'm going to summarize days four, five, and six a little bit. But what you see grammatically at the end of these statements is you see the same construction as God is creating at starting on the third day. There was evening and there was morning. And on days three, four, and five, it says God saw that it was good. So there's a summary of each day. And I think that's an interesting thing because we have a lot of questions when it comes to the creation story. We might think, did God really create the world in six days? Like, how is that physically possible? And that's an interesting question that I've been asked many, many times in youth group, which I actually, and this is not to throw shade at people's questions, I actually think it's kind of the wrong question. I think the more important question is, does God really have the power to create something out of nothing? Because if the answer is yes, then I don't think he's just limited to how much he could create in one day. And yet it's very interesting that there are six days of creation with one focus for that day. Because if we're going to say that God is the creator of our universe and he can do all these things, if he has the ability to do it in all these days, then why would one day be about light and dark? One day be about like morning and, and night. And one day be about plants. And one day be about earth creatures and water creatures. Couldn't he do it all at once if he's the all-powerful creator? I think that's an interesting question that's good for us to wrestle with. And I think in showing this construction, it shows us that each day had what was supposed to happen on that day. And that's a good preview for what comes in when, on, when we get to the seventh day. And so we'll get there in a moment. Um, and so when we get to the sixth day of creation, things are similar, yet it ends quite different, quite differently because this is, how, uh, this is where we read about the creation of man. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. Skip down to verse 31. God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. As God is creating specific categories of things on days one, two, three, four, and five, and the days end with him saying it was good, when he creates us as mankind, he says it was very good. And I think that teaches us about the special kind of relationship that God wants to have with us as humans, that there is a different kind of level where we could say we are kind of the peak of creation, though many times, myself included, as humans in our worst moments, we do, we do well to kind of argue against that. We see that God has this special kind of place for humanity, and that's why he says it's very good. So on each day, one, one kind of group of things was created, and that's what would seemingly was supposed to happen on that day. And then we get to day seven, and this is where we see that God rests. 
starting in chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Uh, the famous comedian Chris Rock, if you've ever watched him, it's quite vulgar, like watch it if it's old enough, if you're old enough, like, you know, there's some, there's a lot of bad words in there. But anyway, as he talks about um, his kind of journey and thinking about God, he says it's strange to him that God, a perfect being, would create humanity and then rest. So why would you do that? If we as humans are doing something and we're creating something, like if you have a project at work and it's going well, why would you rest? You want to keep going because you're inspired by it. And this is where we start to see the difference, I think, in spiritual thinking versus our human thinking, especially living in Silicon Valley, which is one of the most high-achieving areas, right? When we're achieving something well, we want to keep going. It's like, yes, this project's going well. I, I'm, I, well, I don't know if you students do this, but like my studies are going well. I'm going to keep studying. That probably doesn't work for the sake of analogy. But I don't know. Maybe for some of you it does. And the interesting thing is, like, God has created all these amazing things, and then he chooses to rest. And we have to ask the question, why? Why would God rest? Is it because that God was tired and he didn't have the capacity anymore to keep creating? That seems like a very strange statement if he had just created the world in this period of time. Uh, regardless of what our views are on creation, the fact that he would create all these things, if he is uh, the all-powerful creator of our universe, it seems strange that he would need to rest. And so this is where I have to give a shout out to Fred Gillum, father of Daniel, our other pastor. Um, just a quick plug, uh, Fred Gillum will be speaking at our all-church retreat. We'll make an announcement about that at the end of our service. We'd love to have you join us. He's also here Wednesday nights during our Young Adult Fellowship where he's teaching a class on Christian spirituality. It's been fantastic. You can come here Wednesdays at 8 p.m. This is the shameless plug to come join us. Or you can see the episodes that Jeremiah uh, edits really well and puts up on YouTube. It's really good stuff about Christian spirituality. Fred is someone who's shaped a lot of my thinking when it comes to the Bible. He's been a Christian a lot longer than I have. He's one of the wisest people that I've had a relationship with in terms of interpreting scripture. And he preached a message called the seventh day at our church in 2015. Does anyone remember that? It was a long time ago. I get it. That was like seven years ago. And so when he was talking about this passage and wrestling with this question, why would God choose to rest? That's where you see the order of creation that I've kind of shown you. Each day, there's creation of this. There was evening, there was morning. It was good. Third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. It was very good. And then God rests. And Fred's opinion on that, which I highly value, is he said, it seems like God had set what was important for that day and not more. It doesn't mean that he's not capable of it. He's God. He's the all-powerful creator who's created all these things. But there's an order to the creation of what was important for that day. And I think that's really important for us because a lot of times we think we can accomplish everything we're supposed to in one day, and then we find ourselves disappointed when we realize we can't meet those goals. And I think that's the difference in, in spiritual and godly thinking versus human thinking. A lot of times we think, these are my goals for the day. And I might make goals for the day, and I will tell you, I seldom accomplish them. There's like a checklist of things that I don't finish, and then I feel really stressed out about it. And then, you know, that's just life in a nutshell for many of us in Silicon Valley. 
And so it seems like God is showing us there is an importance to rest, there's a choice to rest, and this choice to see perhaps there isn't more that I need to do this day. And that's kind of like what we see from the creation story. Um, and so I really value what he's kind of shared about when it comes to this topic. Um, he preached a whole message on this that I think is fantastic. Um, you can, if you come here Wednesdays, you can ask him more about it because I'm sure he remembers it and would love to talk to you about it. Um, but that's a really important kind of lesson for us to kind of at least wrap our heads around the question, why did God rest on the seventh day? And I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say I think that's the perfect answer for it, but it's a better answer than anything else I've come up with or when I've read different commentators on the book of Genesis. It seems like God is saying, this is what is supposed to happen this day and the next day, and then there's rest. And perhaps God is trying to show us and lead by example that rest is important. And even he, the all-powerful creator, who doesn't necessarily need to rest, shows us the value of rest by choosing to do it himself. So that's the first thing we see in scripture. And now if we go back to the book of Exodus, where we started to define the word Sabbath, um, if you know anything about the word Sabbath, as we've seen, it means a day of rest from Exodus 16. Several chapters later, when God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, you know that keeping the Sabbath holy is one of the Ten Commandments. So let's go to Exodus chapter 20, and we see where God commands this in the midst of the Ten Commandments. So this is after God's provided the manna and the meat and the people have rested and learned about the Sabbath and they're still wandering through the wilderness. And as they start to think about how to govern themselves as a society because they've gotten away from Egypt, this is where God gives them the Ten Commandments. Why? He wants them to know how to be in perfect relationship with him and also with each other. And the essence of the Ten Commandments is meant to help them as a community. And so as he's giving the commandments, we know that the first one is, I am the Lord your God, you will have no other gods before me. And then as he gets down a couple verses later in verse 8, this is where he talks about the Sabbath. And in verse 8 it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Now, for a society that is traveling through the wilderness and trying to establish itself as a new people, having escaped from Egypt, this might seem like a strange commandment. There was probably a lot to get done, a lot of food to find, and even in the moment where they had been without food and were grumbling about it, and God provides the manna and the quail uh, back in chapter 16, as we saw, even back then, we see that it's strange to have to rest when we feel like there's more to do. Now, if we might say that's a short description of what the Sabbath is, does, does God elaborate as he's giving the law to Moses? And that's what we have the book of Leviticus for. The book of Leviticus is the third book of the Bible. It goes into greater detail about a lot of the laws that God gave his people to help kind of govern their society. If you've ever done a one-year Bible reading plan, Leviticus is usually where you give up. You get through Genesis and Exodus because there's cool stories, and you get to Leviticus, and you're like, oh my gosh. How can I keep reading this? And then we just either go to the New Testament or we figure out a new Bible reading plan. If you've ever gotten to Leviticus, I commend you. You've done well. That's some good stuff. But if we can look at just a few verses in there that help explain the thinking behind the Sabbath, I think it has a lot of great value for us as we start to think about rest for ourselves. In Leviticus 25, starting in verse 1, on Mount Sinai, where Moses would go to speak with God, 
and hear God's instructions, the same, way at the, the same place where he would get the Ten Commandments. It says this in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. So if we see what's happening... Um, only a few of us in this room have farming experience. My brothers Johnny and Jason here at Operation Dawn uh, Gospel Rehab Ministries, they have a farm in Gilroy, and they've grown some really good plants, some really good vegetables, some really amazing produce. Um, in the fall of 2021, because I go and do Bible study there every week, I did not buy vegetables from the grocery store for four months because they gave me so much fresh, organic stuff. And when I... When, they're, when they, you know, the growing season ended and I had to go back and buy vegetables from the grocery store, I was like, man, these taste terrible. Like, I can't do it. So shout out to you guys for growing, like, amazing produce. For the rest of us, maybe some of you have gardens at home. There's actually a few more. Daniel and Ashley have a pretty amazing garden. If you want some bitter melons, maybe they have some more. I'm just volunteering their services at this point. But anyway, you may not have a lot of gardening experience, but there's actually a lot of truth in what this is saying. In order for the land to best produce, you have to give it a break for the soil to be able to replenish the nutrients in it. And so it's a way where it shows that the, the crop is going to be replenished, but you have to give it a break for a year. And as I understand it, you guys are experiencing that right now because it's fall and the vegetables are not growing because seemingly they're in their seventh year right now and it needs time to refresh itself, right? Now, this is our objection when we hear something like that. We might not know what it's like to be in an agrarian society, but we might think uh, as we get to, well, let me explain this part first. If we were to apply this and to say, maybe a good way to think about this is we can't work seven days a week. Like our society is not geared that way. We have weekends and the purpose of weekends is to rest. Maybe a lot of us choose to use that for play and then we're really tired when we go to work on Monday morning, but, but the purpose of it is that weekends are meant for rest and maybe some of you students are studying all, all weekend and it just doesn't feel that way and I would say perhaps we, we as Silicon Valley would do well to think about some biblical wisdom about rest, but we'll talk about that more. The problem is we think there's not enough time to get things done. If God's people were complaining about not having food and they are saying, God, will you provide food? And then for six days, they have it. But then they're still gathering. They're still looking for more on the seventh day, even though they've gathered enough already. If we say we have to take a break, many times our objection is there's not enough time to finish all of my work. There's not enough time to finish all of my homework or there's not enough time to do all of these things. And so um, when I was in college, in the Christian fellowship I attended, 10th week, the week before finals, we had a pastor, a very well-known pastor come and give a message about the importance of the Sabbath. And a lot of the concepts that we're going through here are things that he said that day. But he said, and I'm not, I'm not saying you have to do this. He told us we had to do it. So you could take that for what it is. But in the, we, in the week leading up to finals, when we all feel very ill-prepared for our classes, he said, I want you in the next seven days to take one day where you don't study. And the week before finals at a, at a UC, we were just like, 
nope, sorry. But it was hard because this guy, he was a really well-known pastor and he spoke in this really amazing tone and with really amazing eye contact. He ended up being my preaching professor uh, when I went to seminary. And it's like, as he was preaching, like this, the laser stare that he had as he's preaching God's word made you think, wow, I'm really hearing from God through this man right now. I have to take a day off, even though I don't see a physical way that I'm gonna be prepared for all my final exams if I do that. That's our objection as humans. We think there's not enough time to get things done. And that's one of several reasons why we don't rest. And as my brothers here at Operation Dawn are experiencing, if we, if we don't take God's command for rest seriously, then the garden's not growing right now. I have no doubt that by next year, with a year for the soil to kind of be replenished, that they'll, they'll be back to growing amazing produce again. And that's a really important concept, though, when we think about that purpose for our lives. We are not capable of working 24-7. Trust me, I've tried it. Like, that describes a lot of my summer, especially around youth retreat. And there's a point where my mind just no longer works anymore. And when we are tired, a lot of times, that's when the strain in our relationship starts to come out, where we don't treat people the way we want to because we're tired, we don't feel at our best. And I think the thing we can really learn from God's command to his people here is that rest is so important. And the fields that provided the food needed rest. And their objection was, well, what, what will we do for, for the food for, for that whole seventh year? A year without food? What's going to happen? Let's go to chapter 25 where we were and skip down to verse 20. And, and God says to Moses, If you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in our crop? I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. And what God is saying is that I will provide for you in six what you need for seven. And I think this is such a powerful reminder for us living in Silicon Valley, where in our work and in our studies, we think everything is up to us. And when we can learn that God is a God who loves us and who will provide for us, we start to see that we don't have to have this mindset that everything is up to me and I can provide for myself through all of my own efforts. And that's a really important truth that we see here in this passage in Leviticus. And so what that shows us is the Sabbath has a reason. There's a rest behind it, but really, as we start to see, yes, it's practical, like we need physical rest, but really what God is trying to show you, he's saying, I'm the one who's brought you out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This is why you should have no other gods before me. I will provide for you in ways that you don't understand. And uh, I like to make all kinds of jokes on this because as a pastor, the, the um, perception, which is also reality, is that we don't make a lot of money, and I will tell you that's true. And at the same time, living in the body of Christ here, I have never, like, if people were to ask me what my uh, annual salary is, at least people who work in this area, they're, like, shocked by what it is. I don't know. I think it's a lot of money. But it, what it shows me is that God has never ceased to provide for me in this area where people think it's impossible to live. It's impossible to raise a family. It's impossible to buy, buy a house. And the more that we trust God, being one who loves us and who provides for us, even when we're not sure how it might physically happen, the more we get to see his goodness and his love and his care for us. 
And so as God is giving this commandment for the land to have this time to heal, he is telling his people, let me show you how I will provide for you. Because that's who our God is, and that's how much he loves us. And in a fall where, uh, I didn't think of any of this gardening thing before, but as we're talking about it, in a fall where my brothers here at the farm are not experiencing the growth, there's the amazing blessing of the food bank that sends you guys food, and a lot of food, food that they've had too much of, so they send it back with me, and I give it to some of you guys. And if we think about kind of our blessings as living in Silicon Valley here, where many of our families are pretty well off, we don't have that need, so it might be hard for us to connect to this. But we want to see, hopefully, how the importance of rest is really important for our lives in a variety of ways, not just in the physical needs, but when it comes to our emotional health, our mental health, in the ways where rest is so important. So that leads us to the final point for this morning. We want to see that a true Sabbath, true rest, it really comes from knowing God. Yes, there's a physical rest component to it that's very important. But um, there were so many verses I wanted us to take a look at here. Um, if you have time, read the book of Hebrews. There's a term, and it explains Sabbath rest very well from the perspective of how different things are when you know that Jesus is your Savior. That's the essence of the first couple of chapters of Hebrews. I would love to go into that, but for the sake of time, we don't, have, we don't have time for it. But I would say, if you read the first four chapters of Hebrews, you get amazing, an amazing picture of why rest is so important. But I wanted to stick to one verse that Jesus gives as he's doing his ministry and teaching about the kingdom of God. And it comes from the book of Matthew in chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. And the context before we read this is there's been a very interesting interaction that Jesus has had with John the Baptist. If you know anything about John the Baptist, he was a prophet who prepared the way for Jesus. He was baptizing people, telling people they needed to repent and prepare their hearts for the Savior who was coming. And as a result of John the Baptist's faithfulness to Jesus, which was in opposition to the, to the governments, he was thrown in jail. And he sends his messengers with a message to Jesus because after all of his faithfulness, he's in jail. And he says, Jesus, are you really the Messiah that is to come? Like, in other words, he's saying, all the, all the ministry we did together, together, what good is it if I'm here in jail? That's a very, like, tough earthly question. And Jesus responds to his message saying, yes, I am the Savior. And after John's messages go, messengers go back and take the message to John, Jesus talks about the amazing person and servant that John the Baptist is. And as the disciples, Jesus' followers, are hearing this, probably in a lot of confusion about the kingdom of God, Jesus teaches them about rest. Now, I don't think they fully understood this at first, but it was something they would understand after Jesus dies on the cross uh, quite a bit later. But these are famous verses that teach us something about the importance of a relationship with Jesus and how that can help us experience rest. This is in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So when Jesus is talking about rest, which is probably something the disciples are at least subconsciously thinking about, they've been following Jesus, they've been away from their families, there's been persecution that they've faced, there's a lot going on. 
And Jesus, as he's teaching about rest, he says, in order to experience true rest, you have to come to me. I will give you rest. And I think that's really important for us because we see how the land needed rest back in Exodus and Leviticus, and that teaches us about the physical importance and the practical importance of rest. But as Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God, he's saying, if you want rest, the way you're going to find it deep down, you have to find it from me. And I want to take us to one of the last sections of the Bible. We'll come back to that idea in Matthew in a moment. But in the last chapter of the Bible, if we went from God resting at the start of creation all the way up until what happens when Jesus comes back someday and brings the new heavens and the new earth and all of the sin, all of the brokenness that we see in our world is dealt with by a true and loving Savior once and for all, this is what will happen at the, that time. And in Revelation 21, the last book of the Bible, talking about the end times, in verse 1, John writes this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4 is a very important verse because I think deep down, this is what we're all trying to experience. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And when uh, a loved one or someone that we really care about is no longer with us, we often use the phrase like rest in peace or other things to kind of help preserve their memory or have a nice kind of thought um, in remembrance of that person. And what, what John is talking about as he has this vision of the end times is that for believers in Jesus, followers in Jesus, and this is what Hebrews 3 and 4 says, if you have a chance to go back and read it, you see that obedience to Jesus at, at the end times, it will result in true rest. And we can also experience that in partial ways right now as we experience a relationship with, with God here on earth as we wait for the day that Jesus comes back. And so when Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, I will give you rest, what that is showing, and this is what the book of Hebrews talks about, is there is a type of rest that goes beyond just like getting eight hours of sleep a night or just having enough like uh, time to like have, feel like we're good in our kind of our own mental space or our own mental health. There's a deeper kind of rest that all of us can experience. But Jesus says you have to come to me to experience it. And if you've been around our church, you know the pandemic's been a tough time for us. Um, there's a lot of the normal challenges, and you know we've experienced a lot of tragedy in a vari variety of ways. And the only way that I think we have really, ex we can really deeply experience true rest is when we experience the presence of God. And that's what it means that a true Sabbath comes from knowing God. A true rest comes from knowing God. There will always be seasons of when I'm going to enter into a season of two months of physical rest. And there will always be seasons that are busier or slower for us. But there's something that goes much deeper than that that we all need, regardless of the season. And I think that's good news. Some of you have recently had children. 
you would probably think there's no physical rest in sight and there's no physical rest in sight until my newborn grows up, graduates, goes to college, leaves the house, and we might think of that's like 18 to 20 years or, or more in Asian culture when we live at home forever, to like not experience rest like until that time. I think this shows us that in the different like slower seasons and busier seasons, if true rest comes from Jesus, it's something that we can experience and rely on his presence in the busy weeks and in the slow weeks. And so as I was walking Noah, pulling the leash along, saying, come on, like, you know, he gave me a look, like, where he just stood there, and he's a big dog, like, I can't really, like, make him move if he doesn't want to move. He gave me this look as if to say, come on, don't you know I'm an old man? Like, you need to stop and smell the flowers, as I'm doing, and I didn't physically do that. But as I waited for him to smell everything on the lawn in the neighborhood that he was looking at, and waited, and waited some more, it's taking such a long time that I realize my mind starts, stops to leave the stress of like, can we like finish this walk? It's getting hot outside. And I started to think about like all of the things that God has done this summer. It wasn't like I was actively trying to do that. But this is what happens when we have a relationship with God. When we actually stop and take a break and rest, it gives us the chance to experience the rest that God wants to give us, not just in a physical way, but from reminding us that his presence is with us. And that's, I think, what Jesus means when he says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Some of us may be in very busy seasons where we feel like rest is just not coming. And I want you to know, from your relationship with God, there will be ways where he helps you rest, even if it's not in the number of hours of sleep or in the physical ways that we want it or in a relief from all the studying we have to do for those of you preparing for SATs and AP tests and college apps. If you remember that God is there, if you know that he loves you and you are open to hearing his voice, I really deeply believe you'll experience rest in whatever season that you're in. Now, if you're like me and you realize that you've been working uh, for a period of time and you're either your physical, like mindset is not good or your mind is not working the way you want, perhaps it's a way where God is saying, take, the, the, take the, the seventh year rest for the land very seriously and figure out how we might need to find physical rest so that we might be able to refocus and experience just our relationship with God and the way he wants to show his presence to us. That's what I'm hoping to experience in the next two months. I'll be visiting family uh, on the East Coast. I'll be outdoors a lot. Uh, there will be a lot of, um, you, if you know me, I don't like to sit indoors all the time. I like to be out in nature. There will be a lot of that. But going into the sabbatical, I realize I need something so much more than that. If it's only about the physical rest, I'll come back. But we rest, we sleep. Sometimes we might think, I'm tired, I need a nap, and that's going to work. And then you wake up from the nap, and you're even more tired than you were before you took a nap, and the physical rest might fail us. But the rest that we, come, that we, that we have uh, from coming before God and knowing that he's with us, that is a rest that will never leave us, that can be with us in the busy seasons, in the times where we actually have more time. But to see how in both, all seasons, God wants to show us how he's always with us. It's the same way he wanted to show his people, I will provide for you, even though you think it doesn't make sense if there's a year without planting crops in a society like that. It's a way where he wants to show, let me show you how I will provide you what you need, because that's who our God is. And so I don't know what our minds and our hearts are like this morning, 
or if we're in a season where we need to experience rest for ourselves. And so whether you're in a, a period where maybe you might think, I need to slow my mind down the way I know I do right now, or maybe some of us are like, that's not possible, then I would say, I would just ask God and see how he might be providing rest, even amidst all the busyness. Rest that may not look like eight hours of sleep or a certain vacation or whatever it might be, but rest that comes from knowing that God is with us. And I know in the busiest of moments in the past several years, I know that's how I've been able to experience rest. When I remember, when I stop, it's not just stopping to smell the flowers. It's how that moment could actually remind me. Even here on the sidewalk, if I believe in God, he's, he's with me and he wants to remind me, remind me of that. But we miss that when we don't stop and rest, if we're just always busy, going on the go all the time. And I pray that we would experience the rest that Jesus talks about here and that we would have the comfort of knowing that there will be a day where we will experience the ultimate rest when we are with our God in heaven. If we are too busy to seek that, we might miss out on what that means here. And if you're someone who doesn't know who the living God is, I would just urge you to talk to someone that you know who has a relationship with God, who can share a little bit more about that and at least be able to share their experiences of how God has given them rest. I can share my experiences, but we all have different ways of experiencing rest. But the important thing is in that rest, God wants us to experience our relationship with him. And I pray that's something we would all experience. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for how much you love us, that you've given us passage after passage about this one topic, not just this one topic, but God, that you love us so much that you want to remind us of how your wisdom can really help us in the midst of uh, all we're experiencing right now. God, we know we live in a very busy society. God, we know that in our schooling, in our work, um, or even in our lifestyles, it is hard to rest. And Lord, I confess that that is very, very true for me. God, I pray that uh, we would slow down in the moments that we need to, where you can remind us that you are there, that you love us, that you will provide for us, that the anxieties that overwhelm our hearts, we can give them to you and see how you might be with us uh, in those moments. Lord, I just pray for anyone in here who feels super anxious this morning or super restless. I pray that we would find our rest in you. As we sang, God, that you would bring peace to a restless soul. And God, that when the oceans do seem to rise or the thunders roar, the, the metaphorical storms in our lives come up, that we would know that you don't always take them away, but you promise to be with us in the midst of that. And so, Lord, we just thank you for your word to guide us in all areas of our life, but especially when it comes to rest. And so I pray for all of us that we would experience your rest, not just for the purpose of being refreshed, but for the purpose of experiencing your presence with us. So we thank you for this time. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.